Donald Trump called him tough. Rush Limbaugh read one of his articles live on his radio show. Ann Coulter tweeted that article to her one and a half million followers and declared, every sentence is perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, former chief editor of the Jewish Press, Elliot Resnick. Welcome to the Elliot Resnick Show, where we interview fighters and firebrands on the political and cultural battlefields. With us today is the queen of firebrands, Ann Coulter. Anne needs no introduction, but we'll give her a brief one anyways. She's a frequent and popular TV commentator and has written 13 books, all of them bestsellers, if I'm not mistaken. Her latest is Resistance is Futile, How the Trump-Hating Left Lost Its Collective Mind. But she's also published such titles as How to Talk to a Liberal, If You Must, and If Democrats Had Any Brains, They'd Be Republicans. Anne is actually something of a podcaster herself now, and you can find her interviews and her weekly column on her new Substack channel, which is called Unsafe. And the easiest way to find that channel is to visit AnnCoulter.com or her Twitter page. Anne, it's a great honor to welcome you to the program. It's so great to meet you in person. Well, over the internet, Elliot, we've been friends for a long time online and through Twitter. Yes, thank you. First of all, I don't know if you're aware, but you're actually featured in the pre-recorded introduction to every one of my Wednesday podcast episodes. I wrote an article in 2017 that you liked a lot. You actually said with some measure of generous exaggeration that every sentence of that article was, quote, perfect. And my podcast intro quotes you to that effect. So thank you. <laughs> well deserved. Oh, thank you. It was about uh, Trump not going into Syria. Anyways, but today, instead of asking you about Trump, DeSantis, or Biden, and all the rest, I'd like to discuss some of the most controversial comments you have ever made. So let's start with something I heard you say at the New York Young Republican Club. Someone asked you what you think about America splitting into two separate countries, one red and one blue, and you replied something to the effect of that would be the best case scenario. Explain. <laughs> Well, I think people often use the idea of a civil war or a separation as a way of dodging that it's, an, I don't think it's going to happen. That's why I say, you know, best case scenario, that's in your dreams, baby cakes. Um, it's a way of backing away from the cultural battles we're dealing with. I mean, I could see a situation as foreseen by our founding fathers, where we have more of a federalist system, where Florida can do what it wants to do and California can do what it wants to do. And then people can vote with their feet, which, yeah, okay, it's a pain to move, but that's better than being, <laughs> if you're a red state person, being locked in an entire country that's California, or if you're a blue state person, being locked in an entire country that's Florida. So that is my realistic best case scenario, that we divide ourselves up and have very different states. Don't make everything a national law. I mean, that was a wonderful thing about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It was just, sorry, I'm rambling, but it was just intellectually offensive that abortion was a constitutional right. Liberals, I know you love abortion, but it's not in the Constitution. Most important things, most things people care about aren't in the Constitution. There's a right to bear arms. There's a right to free speech. Um, and that's only the government um, not interfering. But most things are supposed to be decided at the state and local level. Well, that is the most freedom-promoting system ever conceived in the minds of men. Thank you, framers of our Constitution. Right, but I don't think liberals are going to allow us that. <laughs> no, they're like determined to ram their <laughs> philosophies and their values down our throats, and they don't believe in what they used to claim to believe in, which is live and let live. 
Oh no. Oh no. That's the funny thing about, and by the way, I haven't noticed, you know, a massive lifting of shadow banning or restrictions since Elon took over. I wish you'd be a little more pedal to the metal on, you know, set us free, set us free. But it is strange that liberals are, what they're upset about Elon taking over Twitter for is, is they don't want other people having free speech. And for those of you who don't know about Twitter, if I could just quickly explain, you don't ever have to see an Ann Coulter tweet. You don't ever have to see an Elliot Resnick tweet. You create your own Twitter feed. Now, some people you'll follow might retweet me. And if that really upsets you, you can unfollow the person who just retweeted me. But by following people you like, and then following the people they retweet whom you like, you end up getting, I mean, I follow, I think, thousands of people. A lot of them are liberals, New York Times and Washington Post. And of course, MSNBC and Joanne Reed. So I, and I think most conservatives, think it's kind of fun to see what the left is up to. It is the mainstream media. But what liberals are upset about is someone on Twitter is going to be laughing, having a good time, sending out a funny meme that they disagree with. And that upsets them. No, we must control other people, even though I will never see that tweet. Right. But I think that is the situation, though, where they can't handle anyone disagreeing with them anywhere in the country. And, you know, they have to go to a, to a Christian bakery and ask the Christian baker to bake them a cake for these two men who claim to be getting married. I don't know what the solution is when they're that determined to be that intolerant. They really are. I mean, it reminds me of the old line about Baptists who were upset that, you know, someone someplace may be having fun or maybe it was maybe dancing. I forget what it was. But no, they are such fundamentalist lunatics about controlling people. I mean, this has been true for a long time. You don't you, you never had like. Jerry Falwell flying to New York to demand they shut down the gay rights parade, the pride parade. But you do have liberals, you know, on the Upper West Side of New York flying down to, you know, Virginia to complain about they're saying the Lord's Prayer in the schools. We must shut that down. <laughs> Leave us alone. You can do whatever you want. Have the, you know, gay pride flag in your public schools. But let's do let's do it different ways in different states. Right. And I think actually we need to grow a, a spine. I like quoting Teddy Roosevelt these days. He said apparently about somebody, I think in this cabinet, whom he didn't like, he said he has the spine of a chocolate eclair. So, <laughs> so that's what we conservatives have most of the time. And you notice when liberals have something that, that means very much for them, they defy federal law. So about marijuana, legal immigration, they say, federal government, you can say whatever you want. We're not obeying. We conservatives, oh, the Supreme Court said that said we're obeying. Yes, the sanctuary cities are just a stunning, stunning example of that. Um, you probably remember when Obama was president, Arizona, of course, being overwhelmed, overwhelmed with illegal aliens. And that's before Biden opened things up. So Arizona passed a law that was denounced as, it's like the don't say gay bill, the papers please law, it, hadn't, it wasn't papers please, the, you didn't have cops just randomly stopping you know, Hispanics in front of Home Depot. But if they were, if police officers in Arizona, if they were making an otherwise legal arrest and they suspected the person they were arresting was an illegal alien, they were either required, I think required, to run a check to see if the person was an illegal alien. Um, 
hysteria over that. It's like Nazi Germany. And of course it went to the Supreme Court and was upheld, I believe, 9-0. Other provisions of the law were thrown out. The papers, please, part was upheld 9-0. I, I think it was. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, in any event, the argument that the Obama administration was making was, well, immigration, it has to be a national policy. It's part of foreign policy. It goes into the bucket of foreign policy. So we can't have all the state was doing, and many states wanted to do, was enforcing federal laws on the books passed by Republicans and Democrats, signed by presidents into law over the course of the last 50 years, laws on the books. Obama said, I'm not enforcing them. Some states said, well, we're not going to go beyond federal law, but we're going to enforce federal law. And the Obama and the Democrats' position and MSNBC's position was because immigration is in the bucket of federal policy, states can't even follow the law when the president refuses to follow the law. Okay, that's their position under Obama, <laughs> under Trump. Nope, we're not going to follow the law. We will not. We are sanctuary cities. There's no such thing as an illegal immigrant in our states or our cities. That is until Ron DeSantis started sending them to Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> um, you have famously said that women should not be allowed to vote. Why not? Um, mostly to point out the issue. I mean, I always, it is kind of a joke. Um, don't worry. Just a pipe dream. Never going to happen. But there are jokes in this world, Stan. <laughs> it raises an important issue that you can go in a million different directions on. And that is, <laughs> I think a study just came out recently. Single women, Democrats in the midterm elections lost every demographic except single women who voted by like 37% for the Democrats. And John Lott, the great economist, he's done studies showing, um, because especially out in the West, when we were conquering the nation, there weren't that many women <laughs> pioneers going out and facing the Indians. So a lot of the Western states, a lot of the far right wing Western states were the first ones to give women the right to vote. So you can look and see what happens to laws, legislation, a government, once you give women the vote, <laughs> and lots, it wouldn't have occurred to me to even look at this, but lots charts, they go like this. They're flat, 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 just men voting. Government is doing only the most basic functions. Women get the right to vote. The size of government goes through the roof, through the roof. <laughs> you know, Idaho and Washington State and, and Wyoming and then the entire United States. And I think, as I said recently on a Substack podcast I did with Mickey Kaus, that's up free right now. I think the reason for this is the natural state, this is very politically incorrect. And by the way, I'm a, a contrary example. The natural state of humanity is for men and women to meet, get married, and have children. Um, biologically, children are going to end up being way more of the woman's responsibility. I think it works out well anyway that way, but you can't argue with you, you at least got that nine months and then a few months after that. Um, and I think most women, I mean, most people don't want to have a job. There are some career women some women have great jobs, but I just want to tell you, partners at law firms and investment bankers, 90% of people's jobs suck. They don't want them. So the way it's supposed to work is 
man goes out, husband goes out, makes money, pays for the house, the food, the stuff going on. Woman gives up the job altogether and raises the kids. That's a fantastic deal. (laughs) Say nothing, act natural, ladies. Really, really good deal. Um, If you don't want to, you don't have to. We live in a free country. I'm not casting aspersions and, you know, look at my my own example. So if you have a, I just think there's a natural instinct for women, maybe I'm wrong about this, but to have a man supporting them. And if there is not a man supporting them, they look to the government to be their husband. I mean, you always hear, I make fun of this in my book. I think it's a I think it's guilty. Yeah, it's guilty about single mothers and the burden they put on society, how they're destroying their children, so on and so forth. And part of the point I'm making is single motherhood is being pushed so much by women's magazines, by Hollywood. And it's always, oh, the girl's doing it for herself. And then you see all of the government programs required to support the girl doing it for herself. No, you you really aren't doing it for yourself. So before getting pregnant, get yourself a nice husband who's going to support you. I saw an interview you did, I think within the last year or two, where someone asked you, like, what's the one thing you would do differently? Or sorry, maybe the one thing you would give advice to young women who are in college. And you said, get married in college. You're surrounded by guys who think like you, who are you know, friends with, just do it right away. Yes. Why didn't anyone tell me that? Um, no, I mean, in college, look, they've already, well, maybe not so much anymore. They're dumping the SAT, but they've already done a lot of the sorting for you. You're you know, this will sound so elitist and snotty. Oh, well, um, you know how when you go to a conference, they're like, the, hello, my name is, I, I would like a hello, my IQ is, it would save so much time dating. But here, the, the colleges have already done that sorting for you. And, you know, you're at college, you're taking classes together, you're in clubs together. It's a natural way to meet. You just pick the good looking one, have your babies young you know, they're in college. You could start your career a few years later, but you also have just an enormous pool to choose from when you're a young person. You actually reminded me, I completely forgot, in an Orthodox Jewish society, we date in a more formal type way. So often what you get is these people sending you what we call shidduch resumes. It's kind of like a document that says where the girl went to school, what she's looking for, how she describes herself. And I used to actually Exactly what you said. I used to say, could she just put on like her SAT score on the paper? (laughs) Seriously. Anyways. Well, in the bell curve, I'm totally going to get us both canceled for citing that book by Charles Murray. I think it's in that book. It may have been an article he wrote around the same time. Um, Two interesting things. One is married couples have IQs that are closer than their children's IQs. So it does actually kind of work out that way. And you're less likely to get divorced the closer your IQs are. Interesting. Closer than your children? Sorry, meaning what? Among themselves, I believe, if I'm recalling that right. So if you have the three kids, their IQs will differ more than mommy and daddy's. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so just to end off on this question, so it's more that single women are viewing, looking towards the government as like their husband, or is it also that you think maybe women vote too emotionally as opposed to intellectually? Sorry, hello? Did you hear the end of the question? Sorry. I'm thinking. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. No, no, I no, no, we had problems. <laughs> Sorry. I do this all the time and people think I've just hung up or I've wandered off. Um, I'm thinking, I mean, in general, 
I reject the idea that I know, I think it was popularized by Rush Limbaugh, that liberals are emotional and conservatives are intellectual. When I look at the advances the left makes, they seem like steely-eyed zealots to me. Oh, they are, they're thinking, they're thinking the next step. They take the schools, they take Hollywood, they take the media, they know what they're doing. They don't waste, well, some of them are idiots, admittedly, but it seems very determined to me and not emotional. And a lot of times conservatives are more on the emotional side. I mean, the endless, and look, I was introducing Trump two weeks after he announced in 2015, I wrote in Trump we trust, but he didn't keep his promises. I will not attack him right now. My Twitter feed, (laughs) my Substacks have all of that. But to be continuing this MAGA thing and this Trump thing, That seems very emotional to me. The January 6th, it wasn't an insurrection. It was like college kids taking over the dean's office. So give me a break, media. Having said that, what was the point of that? I mean, they looked like complete morons. We're going to be hearing about that for the rest of our lives. That was emotional. (laughs) So in general, I reject the emotional intellectual but as I, I just said this on my Substack with Mickey, explaining why single women are so, so left-wing, big part is they're looking to the government to be their husbands. And then the second part is in endless studies, there, I mean, there are differences between men and women. And one is women are much less likely to, if they're in a group of people, whether it's girls, males, females in class, if they disagree with the majority, they are much less likely to say it out loud. Whereas I forget how they phrase the questions, but men will say, oh no, I'll just say what I think is true. I mean, I'll say it nicely. I'm not going to get in a fist fight over it, but I don't mind if everyone in the room disagrees with me, I'll make my point. And so women have much more of an instinct, perhaps biologically based or smaller or weaker. They put much more of a premium on getting along. And so if you've gone to any college in America, if you want to get along... (laughs) (laughs) you're going totally woke. Whereas the college Republicans are, I don't care if everyone hates me. (laughs) A number of years ago, there was some sort of mass shooting or school shooting in Texas, I believe. The officials in charge sent psychologists to console the bereaved, and you tweeted your dismay. I don't remember your exact words, but you essentially said that priests should be offering consolation, not psychologists. I happen to think that modern psychology is responsible for almost every ill plaguing our society, but you hardly ever hear anyone, even on the right, criticize it. You did, at least in this context. Why? Yes, and I, I'm sure I would have expanded it beyond priests. I'm, I'm a Presbyterian, not a Catholic. Um, but Sorry. priests, rabbis, ministers, I mean, any religious person knows that the comforts of religion and really the advantage it gives you in life You see all these secular substitutes for it, meditation, (laughs) crystals, (laughs) and uh, what are the, oh, and yeah, I mean, we have a total religion with the whole gay pride thing right now and the transgender thing. Well, I don't care what the physical world is. I would believe this anyway. Real religions have been around for thousands of years for a reason. And so if there were a class shooting, if something traumatic happened to me, oh my gosh, the last person I want to talk to is is some sort of shrink or worse, you know, 
oh, I went to a social work school. Sorry, I'm sure many of you social workers are very dedicated. If you're watching this podcast, you're probably magnificent and I love you and keep doing what you're doing. But by and large, I mean, one thing I've always, I don't know if they have stats on this, but my sense of psychiatrists is they don't really have a motivation for you to get better. The longer you need to keep, if they cure you, <laughs> well, they just lost a client. Okay, that's unkind, but um, I, I do think it's true. I had a professor once, and I've had lots of professors, so this isn't giving anything away, but we used to smoke in his office. I give something away. Um, and he was a very well-known professor, doing very well for himself. But anyway, when he told me he was going to see a shrink, I just, I laughed at him. What are you going to see a shrink for? And one of the things he told me, this sticks with me to this day, that, you know, he was talking to a shrink and, you know, he always got straight A's. And one time, I think it was at college, he came home with an A minus, one A minus. And his father looked at his report card and said, oh, you got an A minus. You really screwed this class up. And I said, Professor so-and-so, you're, you're 50 years old. Get over it. <laughs> Move on. And religion does keep you looking, I think, not like dwelling into the, your own past and what happened to me when I was four. You're looking forward. You're looking upward at God. Right. And I think also religion gives you wisdom of the ages. It makes sense of the world. And like, what is the psychologist? What wisdom does he have exactly? This, you know, 35 year old who just graduated graduate school. What wisdom does he have at all? Yes. They call it like a science. It's philosophy, but it's like a secular, vapid philosophy versus religion, which could actually explain things to you. You know, even the, if you look at these old movies, like, you know, from the 1930s, where they say, like, oh, you know, your father died. He's now in heaven. Like, even that gives you more consolation that some shrink is going to give you, I would think. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, good point. Yes. A lot of wisdom in the Bible. Hmm. Very annoying. I, honestly, because basically psychology makes you self-centered and puts all of your problems on other people. That's all it does. Like, let's talk about me now. Oh, sure. That's a great idea. <laughs> That'll make your life much better. Yes. And then um, they find out, I think I just read this in the New York Times yesterday, which you don't need to tell a religious person. Oh, I think it was somebody saying it was a response to, if you get depressed around the holidays, it's been found that if you want to avoid depression, help others. I think it was in the New York Times. It said people who are charitable, kind, helping others are less likely to be depressed. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> I just heard a lecture. The person said the bigger your problem you have, take on a bigger responsibility. That's a good line. Yeah. Stop dwelling on it. Just do something good and useful. Um, in 2007, you said in an interview, we want Jews to be perfected. The interviewer was Jewish and claimed to be offended. I just watched the clip of you saying that, and your comments were actually much more benign than even I had remembered them. But to address them directly, I didn't find them offensive because you were simply voicing a standard Christian belief. Your average Orthodox Jew would ideally like Christians to stop believing in Jesus. So I don't find it <laughs> offensive when a Christian would ideally like me to drop core elements of my religion. So to me, the whole controversy is much ado about nothing. But I wonder what you think about this particular controversy 15 years later. Well, I was sort of baffled at the time. Um, I violated, I think you mentioned the title of one of my books, How to Talk to a Liberal If You Must. And the opening chapter has like, it, it's like my, except it's 20 commandments. Never do this. Never do this. And one of them is, 
never apologize to a liberal, never extend an olive branch to a liberal, um, never, you know, that along those lines. Well, I violated my own rule because it was Donnie Deutsch and he is very dumb. So I thought he was just being dumb. And he must have misunderstood. In fact, during the break, I said, no, you've totally misunderstood me. You, you can't say that to me. You got to bring me back on and let me explain, which is basically what you just said. I found <laughs> two things I found out later. One was like years later. One was two days later. I was on the Kudlow show, uh, Larry Kudlow. He had a show on the same station. It was CNBC, which was the only business station. Fox Business was about to start. And so Danny Deutsch, or whatever his name is, he was under orders to make news. And he did it, but I was just the sacrificial lamb, come up with something to get offended by, attack her. And he was like on the Today Show the next day. He was all over the media talking about this, you know, this outrage. And then a few days later, I don't know, the next week I'm on Cudlow and he told me secretly, he said, we were under orders. We got to do something big to get ourselves all over because Fox business is about to start. The other thing, it's not like somebody had to tell me this. I just, it was like a light bulb going on over my head. And that is I'm a lawyer. So I didn't realize that most people don't know that you talk about perfecting a contract, you know, perfecting a real estate deal. It's a synonym for completed and most people think perfected is some sort of version of meaning perfect, like really, really, really good. So I was kind of baffled by the whole thing because, yeah, you guys are waiting for a Messiah. We think the Messiah's come. It's kind of just pure logic. We say, well, if you accepted our Messiah, you would be a perfected Jew. But people thought that meant like really good Jew as opposed to completing the story. Right. I guess some to play the devil's advocate, which I don't really like playing in this case, because in this case, the devil is really the liberal. But essentially in Europe, there were many throughout history. There was many times where Christian excess led to Jewish deaths. Right. There was some, you know, rabid priests who riled the crowd up and they're all drunk around Easter time. I don't know. And they went out and they butchered some Jews. But I always say American Christianity, for whatever reason, has never been like European Christianity. I don't think a Jew in America has ever been killed in the name of Christianity, which was not the case in Europe. So I think some people hear, oh, my gosh, she's saying that, you know, Jews should really be Christians. That means she's anti-Semite. That means she wants Jews dead. It's like, no, not at all. But I think that's how in people's minds who don't think rationally, that's where they go or something. That's a really good point. And I believe the whole conversation started, I, this is a long time ago and I haven't watched it since, but I think, um, I think he asked me if I went to church and I said, yeah, you, you should come with me. It's a really good church. And I ought to say the, the, the church I went to is Redeemer, Tim Keller. Um, it was held at Hunter College in New York and it was huge. It was like your best college professor ever. And it was actually really interesting. I brought Jews with me. I brought Ron Silver with me once. It was really interesting because even if you're not a Christian, he would just go through a lot of the Old Testament stories, which just FYI is so baffling to Christians <laughs> because there's a lot of crazy stuff in the Old Testament. So it was just really, really interesting to get the story and the point of the story. I have brought Keller has retired. I listen to his sermons online now because he's better than any other minister I found. And I, I just learn a lot more. I have brought Muslims 
Jews, <laughs> total secularists, to this Hunter College auditorium where the minister is wearing khakis and a button-down shirt. It used to attract, I mean, it was like a mega church in New York City. It would get 600 to 1,000 kids. I was the oldest person there four times every Sunday. That's how good he was. But it was interesting. So that's how the whole conversation begins. Yeah, you want to come with me. <laughs> Not exactly trying to kill him. <laughs> right. I think actually also, because I just watched the clip today, you were talking about, you said, what's your ideal America look like? So you were trying to explain basically the way America used to be, where it was more uniform. So I think you said everyone's patriotic, everyone's Christian. You were just trying to explain, kind of like bringing America back to where it was. I was just reading actually de Tocqueville's Democracy in America for the first time in my life. And he says one of the things that holds America together is that people actually agree with each other. They're all from the same culture, from the same background. You know, they're not arguing about drag queen hours and transgenderism and gay marriage. When you have a society that's agrees with one another, it's more cohesive, and it's more stable. And I think it's more part of what you were trying to say, and he went bonkers. By the way, i just quickly comment on your Old Testament thing. One of the arguments we say for why the Old Testament is true, it's actually accurate history, if you were trying to make up a religion and make up a history of a people, you would never <laughs> record such stories in there. You know? Yes. So if they're there, Daughters they must be true. Their Sorry? Father. Yes. Sorry, say that again? Sorry. I said daughters raping their drunk father. <laughs> yeah, there are strange there are strange things there, but uh Yeah, you would not make it up. I agree. <laughs> uh, and as for having a more homogeneous society, if I could just say one thing sure, about ahead, that sorry. before we move on. And that is um and I quote him in this, I'm not sure for this particular point, but that this was Samuel Huntington's point and the bowling alone guy's point that you're more cohesive, you care for your neighbors more, you're more involved in civic activities. But Huntington's point was, and I think Richard Brookheiser, that the British, well, the Anglo-Saxon Protestant, not Catholic, not Baptist, Protestant culture of America, it doesn't mean you have to be those things, but that's the culture. And what Huntington says, which I think is funny, is that basically different ethnic groups and religions come here and they all in sort of behaviors and style become wasps. Now, not literally becoming signing up with the Presbyterian church, but the whole, the wasp style, I forget how he puts it, but the, the way of life, the style, that is what, that's the template of the American. Oh, and one interesting thing about our country, Jews had the vote before Catholics did because what Americans were worried about back then, this is in colonial times, um, was that, wait a second, you guys are beholden to this guy in Rome? <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to come here, cut it off and become American. And I think it's Huntington who says Catholics weren't fully accepted into society until they became American Catholics and not Roman Catholics. Interesting. I was at Trump's 2016 inauguration, and he had all these Christian priests and ministers praying in the name of Jesus. And of course, it's not my religion, but I felt so much more comfortable hearing people talk religiously and talking about God than you know, surrounded by woke people who talk about, you know, I don't know, uh, Satan or whatever they have. Uh... <laughs> no, I mean, like the satanic culture is like coming back or something. Like, you know, I know. you see these clips. Ugh, very strange. Okay, I guess this is the last controversy I'll bring up. After 9-11, you famously wrote, we should invade their countries, kill their leaders, and convert them to Christianity. Do you still think that's a good strategy? It's so funny you say that. I was driving up past the mosque on 96th Street just like two days ago and reflecting 
man, that was a good plan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wrote that column the night of 9-11. I was stuck in Queens because I was flying that day. And Giuliani, I mean, I suppose correctly, you could get off the island. You couldn't get back on the island. I didn't even know anybody in Queens, but I couldn't get back to my apartment. Eventually found some friends to stay with. And funnily, I'd written a really boring column in advance because I knew I was going to be flying that week. And it was like on taxes, literally. I never write about taxes. Well, okay, that one's gone. Got to write about what just happened. And what I was referring to, it isn't as crazy as it might sound. I mean, that's basically what we did in the Pacific after World War II. MacArthur put out a call for Christian missionaries. They poured into Japan. They poured into Korea, South Korea, after the Korean War. And Christianity took in South Korea. It did not take in Japan. But one thing that, I don't know, maybe there's something else going on, but then liberals are going to have to tell me, oh no, it's genetic. But it does seem, to quote candidate Trump, that we got to figure out what the hell is going on with Islam. <laughs> yes. I mean, I say, thank God. Now, Islamic terror has sort of almost died in, in America, but I don't think it's any thanks to us. I think God is just being very nice to us, basically. But otherwise, when you have countries attacking you or a culture attacking you, and you have no way of, den- no, only the bad ones, but we have no way of identifying the bad ones from the good ones. We know it's coming from a certain culture and from a certain region. So you have two options. Either you could sort of shut off all immigration, which is also something you have suggested doing. You kind of just put up a wall and say, you do crazy over there and we'll stay here and thank you, you know? Yes. Or you say, look, the problem's coming from here. We're going to attack the place where the problem is coming from. And if the innocents have to die, that's just the way it is because wars are collective enterprises. Wars are not individual enterprises. We didn't attack the Japanese pilots who attacked Pearl Harbor, right? We attacked Japan. So you're saying, look, this this attack comes from that region, this religion. We have no option but to capture and conquer our enemy. The way I saw it. Yes. And I mean, I was a a great enthusiast of the Iraq war. And I think The same way, yes, of course, I would support Trump in 2016. Yes, in 2001 and 2002 and beyond. I absolutely would still support the Iraq war. Now, I didn't say and then go to Afghanistan, hang out for 20 years and paint George Floyd murals, but supported the attack to knock out the Taliban in Afghanistan. And My argument for the war in Iraq, and this is well documented in speeches and columns I was writing at the time, is that, I mean, there are a lot of reasons to take Saddam out, none to keep him in. But it wasn't because of um, him violating, you know, the UN inspectors. I I don't care about the UN. I just cited that to taunt the New York Times. They want, oh, the UN, we must defer to the UN. Okay, guys, you want to invade Iraq? No, my argument one of the main arguments was that we needed an Arab Israel in that part of the region. A weird thing about these Muslim countries is that by and large, you either have sane leaders, crazy people, or sane people, crazy leaders. So if you just take out, I mean, Iraqis like Iranians, unlike Afghanis, where we're, we were trying to nation build, um, Iranians and Iraqis, the people themselves, 
very pro-Western, very civilized. The ones who come here aren't the ones, by and large, causing any trouble. But you have, you know, this monster who's their leader and those winsome sons, Uday and Kuse. I haven't thought about this in such a long time, but don't forget those guys. So if we just knock him out, and I think to this day, I think Iraq is better than it was under Saddam. So I really, I have no regrets about that. I've re- I now look with much more of a skeptical eye, not because of Iraq, but because of everything else, on anything done by our military. It has become very woke. It has become very, very woke. And right now, uh, and also we have enough problems at home. Right now, I say, I mean, for example, with Ukraine, um, with China, wish the rest of you good luck. I would like to try out Fortress America for a few years, assimilate the ones we already have, take care of our own people. But the money that just, and distraction, the things that get wasted on, you realize the news isn't good for liberals when all they're covering on CNN and MSNBC is Ukraine. That's just like, okay, insert that. We're not going to talk about the mass shootings in California committed by Asian immigrants. (laughs) Right. I think I, I had two problems with the Iraq war, not in the beginning. I supported it in, in the beginning. But either, number one, I'm sort of an isolationist when it comes to foreign policy. But number two, if you're not going to be that way, I like Mark Stein's comment, which is that Americans make for terrible colonialists. Yes. We're terrible colonialists. You know, the, Brit- the, the British went into a country and said, we are now in charge. We have the superior civilization, and we're going to be doing things our way, and you're going to be listening to us. <laughs> uh, America, we, we go in there, we apologize. No, we're sorry. That's not the way it works. And that's what we did in Iraq. Yes. Yes, you're absolutely right. And worse, in Afghanistan, where they're bringing in all that feminist nonsense. They were so proud and so upset when Biden pulled out that they had gotten the first women on the Kabul you know, police force. And they're teaching them about women's studies and women's rights. And literally, and they flew the pride flag in Afghanistan. And they literally had a mural of George Floyd. No, if that's what our military is doing, just shut it down. What are your uh, prognosis for the future? Because, I mean, going back to the Christian Jews and the uniformity, at the end of the day, Jews and Christians have actually, especially nowadays, 10 times more in common considering the alternative groups. We still believe in, in the same Old Testament, same moral values. But now we have a whole woke left, an atheist left. And I hate to be even more controversial, but I mean, Asian Americans are very hard workers, very good people, but culturally speaking, you know, they don't even share the, the Bible at all. So, like, I don't know where we go forward in terms of, you know, uniformity in terms of a country. You know, what's your prognosis? Well, I really, I mean, I, adios America. I'm glad Trump flipped through it and used it for that 2016 campaign, but I wish he had paid a little more attention when he was running the country. Um Immigration is everything. It isn't just the beautiful plains. It isn't the Grand Canyon. It is the people that make up a country. And the left is pedal to the metal to turn our country into a third world country. Boy, have we seen that with Biden. So I suggested in my book, and Trump did when he was running for office, a five-year moratorium on immigration. You know, take time to assimilate the ones who are here. Uh, obviously things like, it was funny when I worked for the Senate Judiciary Committee, this was in the late 90s, I wasn't working on it, but the welfare reform bill was going through. We had a very small office, we're all chattering with one another all the time. One of the provisions, the one provision in the welfare reform bill 
this was after the 94 election, so Republican House, Republican Senate, Bill Clinton president, um, was that immigrants to this country could not go on welfare for their first five years here. And for the next decade, that the New York Times called that the cruelest provision of the welfare bill. It was bashed, 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 bashed throughout the media. Whereas I suspect if you talk to the average American, wait, that's not already the law? We're bringing in people who are Im- immediately going on welfare? What kind of country would do that? So, yeah, we've got to stop bringing in people whom we immediately have to help. We have our own poor people. We have our own disabled. We have our own people born with astronomically expensive medical problems. We don't need, we have our own criminals. We don't need to be importing all the rest of them from the rest of the world. So I would say that is the most important thing. I am worried about, we can save the Koreans. I am worried about other Asians, mostly because... You know what I was just saying, the difference between men and women in terms of getting along with people versus saying what you think is true. And I suppose an argument could be made for either one. I'm going to speak the truth or can't we all just get along? Asians seem to me to be much more on the let's all just get along side of things. And as with women, that's a problem in today's society. All the powers that be If you want to get a job in journalism, in media, in Hollywood, if you want to be an actor on a TV commercial, if you want to get ahead in corporate America, be on a corporate board, um, college, how you're going to do, it is wokeness as far as the eye can see. So that's what concerns me about Asians other than Koreans, because luckily we sent in the Christian missionaries to South Korea after the Korean War. So most Koreans are good Christians. You can trust them. (laughs) By the way, I put out a book of quotes by Donald Trump. You'll forgive me. It's called Nuggets of Gold. I was thinking, should I ask Anne to tweet it for me? I said, she never will. But I I said, you know what? I'll compose a line for Anne and she might do it. I'll write, do as Trump says, not as he does. And then maybe she'll tweet it. (laughs) That would be a real, you should have called your book that. Because, you know, my book in Trump We Trust, people say, oh, aren't you embarrassed that you wrote? No, 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 no. Go back to 2016. Trump was the only one even saying the right things. Okay, he didn't do it. He's no worse than Jeb would have been. He's no worse than Rubio would have been. But he was at least saying the right things. And we had his election in 2016. I mean, what more powerful message is there to Republicans in Washington, to certain cable news stations, Immigration is a gigantic, gigantic issue. You want to be popular Republicans? Do something about immigration. So anyway, I have given my book, In Trump We Trust, which I think is a great book, to this day. I don't think I got anything wrong on it. I was very clear. But the title is I'm voting for. I basically said he's a horrible person, but he's at least saying the right things. I have signed that to people I want to run for office or run for president saying, but you have to actually do it. (laughs) My only problem was with your title. I thought it was slightly blasphemous. (laughs) You'll forgive me. You know, one of my friends, he's secular, so he doesn't care about the blasphemy part. And I don't think it's blasphemous. It's just like I meant in a very light sense. I didn't mean in the literal sense, but 
it's on our coin. You got to come up with something. But anyway, it was, you know, I had to put it out quickly and he keeps saying, oh, that's such an embarrassing title, especially now that you hate him. And I said, um, yeah, I kept asking you for title ideas. I still wouldn't have published the book if I had waited. <laughs> so a lot of book titles is just, as you know, and is it catchy? Is it going to work? I went through a bunch. I didn't think any of the rest of them were good. Turns out the one thing you couldn't do was trust Trump. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was, you know, sort of joking. And the subtitle also is great. I think it's E. Pluber's Awesome is the subtitle. So <laughs> definitely catchy. But um, anyways, and also just quickly, I'll say about immigration, because you know, on my side, on you know, the Jewish side, people say, well, look, during the Holocaust, Jews weren't being allowed in because it's 1924 law that basically it had severely restricted immigration. My great grandparents came, I think, in 1923 or so. It came like right before the, the law was passed. But the law was passed because two and a half million Jews had come in the previous 35 years. Like you're forgetting the two and a half million Jews that were let in and you're only focusing on the Jews that weren't let in afterwards. You know, had not, there not been that flood of Jews, it wouldn't have, that law wouldn't have been passed to begin with. Like you have to like, you know, judge the good with the bad and understand the context of what happened here. Also, you know, if there's any group that should be in favor of don't let immigrants collect welfare, <laughs> It ought to be the Jews. I mean, one of the things I point out in Adios America, you probably know this, your viewers may not. I forget how many it was, but it was like 40% of Italian immigrants who came over in that huge migration around the turn of the last century went back. This is part of the way we skimmed the cream and got the best of the best of any culture of any country. There was no welfare. It was sink or swim. Apparently, the Jews did pretty well on the swimming part because the two groups of people who were least likely immigrants, least likely to go home or go back to, you know, someplace in Europe, English and Jews and most other immigrants before we had, you know, submerged them in the warm bath of welfare benefits. And here's your check and here's your housing and here's your free doctor and dental care. No, no, make it sink or swim. And then we don't need any immigration laws at all. All right, Anne, it was a, a huge pleasure and honor to have you today. Um, listeners, viewers, if you want to learn more, read more, watch more of Anne Coulter, go to her Substack channel. And Substack is a little bit confusing. I went there, I searched for your name, I didn't find you right away. So easiest thing is, forget, don't, don't go to Substack. Go to AnneCoulter.com. When you go to AnneCoulter.com, there'll be a big box that says Anne Coulter Substack channel. Just click on that, and that's how you'll, you'll get to her Substack channel. Again, an honor and pleasure to have you, Anne. Great to talk to you, Elliot. See you again soon. All right. That does it for us. In the episode description, you will find links to some of the books mentioned during this interview and Coulter's book, my book. Also, I'd advise you to visit my website, 1vs450.com. That's 1vs450.com. That's a reference to Elijah the prophet fighting against the 450 false prophets of Baal and who was right and who was wrong and who was following the herd and who was standing up for principle. Elijah. So if you have the truth on your side, if you have God on your side, do not be intimidated. So visit 1vs450.com where you can find links to my articles, my past media appearances, a parenting column by John Rosemont, a chess puzzle, and you could sign up to my newsletter. Every week you will get political commentary by yours truly. Over there you can also find a link to my book project. If there are many classic books that you've never read and always wanted to read but don't have the time, let me read them for you. We're talking about books like Plato's Republic, Dostoevsky's The Idiot, Rousseau's Emile, 
de Tocqueville's Democracy in America, the classic All Quiet on the Western Front, Israel Zangwill's famous play The Melting Pot, and many more. And lastly, if you are interested in reading every single opinion article I have ever written, minus one or two, send me a note. You can reach me through my website, on Facebook, on Twitter. Let me know if you would be interested in such a book, and I will write you down and send it to you when it's available. Or you can wait until it actually costs money on Amazon, but if you want it for free, let me know and I will send you the PDF. See everyone next week.